Welcome to In-House Legal with attorney Paul Boynton. It's everything in-house, legally speaking. Technology, business practices, trends, and controversies important to corporate counsel. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to In-House Legal. I'm attorney Paul Boynton, and I've covered the in-house community for over six years as a legal journalist, and now have my own media consultancy. The Securities and Exchange Commission is aggressively probing the financial world in the wake of the meltdown on Wall Street last fall. In an environment of hypertenacious federal investigations and prosecutions, the SEC recently filed for the first time an insider trading lawsuit involving the purchase of a credit default swap based on confidential non-public material information. A credit default swap is a financial product similar to an insurance policy that pays a buyer of the product a negotiated amount when a triggering event occurs, typically a default under a debt security. These exotic, largely unregulated financial products in the eyes of many are at the root of the financial crisis that paralyzed financial markets last fall. The SEC is going after a Wall Street bond salesman employed by Deutsche Bank Securities and a financial portfolio manager employed by Millennium Partners, a hedge fund investment advisor. The SEC is alleging that the two men shared confidential material information related to the financing of a bond offering, including the issuance of credit default swaps. Now, this is new territory for the SEC, namely insider trading involving complex financial products that, for the most part, operate outside of federal oversight. The case filed in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York, which is located in New York City, is captioned Securities and Exchange Commission versus John Paul Rorick and Renato Negrin. The case number is 094329. With me today is attorney David Bernson of Dwayne Morris to help explain the underpinnings of the SEC's case and the novel legal issues it raises. David specializes in securities law and corporate financing. He has written an article analyzing the recently filed SEC insider trading case. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Paul. Now, for our listeners, David, I probably did not do it uh, justice, but could you help explain in a little more detail what a credit default swap is? Sure. Uh, As you mentioned, uh, credit default swaps are contracts that are sort of like insurance policies between two counterparties, a buyer and a seller. The buyer makes a series of periodic payments or premiums to the seller during the term of the uh, CDS contract. In exchange, the seller agrees to pay the buyer a specified amount of money if the underlying credit instrument, which is typically a bond or a loan, defaults. There's no requirement that the buyer owns the underlying security or other credit exposure. Um, they don't even have to have a loss or any other effect from the default event, so it can be purely speculative, um, which is obviously different than an insurance contract, which usually, you know, you would have to have some loss to be a beneficiary of an insurance policy. These contracts are traded, um, you know, generally on over-the-counter markets. Um, The trading price fluctuates with changes in the likelihood that the underlying credit instrument will default. So if investors perceive that... uh, a company looks like it's in greater risk for defaulting under the underlying uh, debt instrument, the prices will fluctuate accordingly. David, these uh, instruments, these so-called credit default swaps or CDSs, they've grown quite a bit over the past 10 years. Is that right? Absolutely. 
And could you just, again, setting the context before we get into the details of the case, I mean, why is that? Is that just something that uh, traders are seeing as something new and exciting and money to be made? Is it really as simple as that? Um, I think it's, uh, again, it's a new, newer product, and there's been a lot of opportunity to make a lot of money with these products. And, you know, I, I think that's what's been fueling the popularity is, is mainly the opportunity to make a lot of money quickly. And, and to be able to hedge your risks at the same time. Very good. So let's get into the details of the case. Uh, one of the key points made by the defense is that the SEC is, uh, this is not their, uh, their hunt. This is not within their realm. So why do the defendants uh, in this case think the, the transaction in question isn't covered by securities fraud law? Uh, the defendants are uh, planning to make two arguments uh, to that effect. The first argument is that the SEC does not have jurisdiction over these transactions because the security that the CDSs were based on was issued by a Dutch company, not a U.S. company. Uh, the, the trades actually took place out of the United States and that the derivative contracts were tied to European bonds. So they're trying to say, they're trying to make a jurisdictional argument um, with that point. Uh, the other point is uh, that the SEC does not have authority to regulate credit default swaps. Um, Commodities Futures Modernization Act of 2000 generally prohibits the SEC from regulating credit default swaps. However, the SEC is trying to use Section 10B of the Exchange Act, which gives them authority over insider trading. And the SEC is claiming that that authority extends to securities-based swap agreements, and the defendants are arguing that it does not. So what's your take on that? Is uh, What's your sense of the SEC's position? Is that it sounds novel and it sounds like they're trying to stretch the language of a, an act that was passed in 1934 uh, to you know modern-day transactions? Uh, what, what's your take? Um, yeah, it's hard to speculate since this is, as you said, a novel issue. We'll have to see how they lit it, litigate it out. Um, I, I think it's going to really depend on the court's interpretation of the specific language, um, the Section 10B of the Exchange Act specifically says it applies to securities-based swap agreements, which is defined in the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. And the definition is, let me just read it to you. It's a swap agreement of which a material term is based on the price, yield, value, or volatility of any security or any group of or index of securities or any interest therein. So what's really going to uh, determine this at the end of the day is if the court's going to have to decide what's required to establish that a material term of the agreement is based on a security. You know, I would think that this is... The, the CDS in question here was protecting against a default on bonds. I would think that was security-based and that the SEC's argument is pretty strong. Uh, but again, we'll have to wait and see how the court determines it. Uh, before we take a quick break, David, could you uh, touch upon the jurisdictional argument and expand upon that a bit? The defense is saying 
you know, this is a European transaction essentially, and a government, a U.S. government agency, it's it's not their business. Uh, what do you think? Uh, you know, that's going to be an interesting one as well. I think the SEC's position is that some of the tips, the insider information that was exchanged, was done in the U.S. Um, that the you know traders were based in the U.S. and used you know phone communication systems in the U.S. to to violate these rules. Um, you know, again, this is so novel. I think the We'll have to wait, really, to see how the court, whether the court wants to take jurisdiction over this one or not. Very good. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will talk more with attorney David Bernson of Dwayne Morris. Are you interested in sponsoring in-house legal or other programs on the Legal Talk Network? We'd love to have you on board. Contact our sales department today at 781-551-9960. Don't forget to subscribe to In-House Legal and all of the shows in iTunes. Welcome back to In-House Legal. I'm Paul Boynton, host of In-House Legal. I'm joined by attorney David Bernson of Dwayne Morris. Well, David, uh, on the other side of the break, we're talking about the uh, nitty-gritty details of the statutory arguments and language at issue and the, the jurisdictional uh, issue that's also before the uh, the court. Uh, let's talk a little bit broader beyond the case, if you will. Uh, do you expect the SEC to attempt to expand uh, prosecutions or civil cases against other complex financial products and investments similar to these credit default swaps? And if so, which ones? I do think they will, Paul. They, uh, historically, they've not focused their attention on these types of products. Um, I think that's mainly because they're generally usually only entered into and traded by sophisticated institutional investors, banks, hedge funds, insurance. Um, however, with the growth rate that we discussed before, the exponential growth rate of these trades, um, I think the SEC is definitely going to keep expanding their prosecutions. Several SEC officials have specifically indicated their intent to do so. Um, SEC Chairman Christopher Cox recently stated in a speech that from the standpoint of investor protection, they simply can't leave unregulated products like credit default swaps you know, without a closer look. Um, another SEC official, Kay Lackey, this is a quote, is the SEC is looking into a broad array of financial products associated with the financial crisis, including credit default swaps, which sounds like they're looking beyond that. Um, the chairman, Mary Shapiro, stated in a business conference that the SEC had more than 50 investigations recently involving credit default swaps and other derivatives. Um, so it sounds like there's really a lot going on. They're looking into a lot. I think this was you know, just the first case, but I, I think it's going to be the tip of the iceberg. Now, who's potentially in play if the, uh, going back to the court case for a moment, if the court rules in favor of the SEC on the scope of its authority over these derivatives? I mean, which investors, which issuers, are in-house lawyers even in the financial industry at risk? I mean, what are the potential ramifications if the SEC uh, wins the day? Um, you know, I think this is going to affect a lot of entities. Um but, you know, as you're probably aware, most of the players involved in credit default swap, you know, contracts and trading 
as I mentioned, are hedge funds, banks, and insurers. And since these are over-the-counter transactions, part of the problem is with the unregulations, it's very difficult to identify who's engaged in these transactions, um, you know, how many there are, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very difficult to say, you know, which 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 of these entities are at risk? I mean, certainly, there's a lot of hedge funds out there involved in this, uh, you know, in these in these transactions, and it sounds like they're at risk. Um, I think the in-house lawyers in the financial industry certainly want to pay attention to this. Um, they want to make sure part of, you know, as you can see in the current case, the SEC is only going after the individual uh, individuals involved in the transaction, not the entities that they work for. You know, part of the reason may be because it would be very difficult to prove the individuals making the decision on behalf of the entity were aware of the inside information, and that the they'd also have to prove that the entity didn't have reasonable policies in place to prevent inside trading. So, you know, in-house attorneys at financial services companies certainly want to make sure that they have all the proper policies and and procedures in place internally to prevent this sort of problem, and they want to ensure that they're complied with by their employees. Um, you know, I assume you don't mean in-house attorneys specifically involved in these trades because that would, you know, certainly be something the SEC would be interested in. But beyond that, if the SEC starts going after the entities and and saying that they didn't have the proper procedures in place and the entities are hit with penalties and fines and bad press, um, I'm sure the in-house attorneys would be, you know, indirectly affected that way. Um, as far as in-house attorneys at non-financial uh, uh, companies such as the issuers of, of debt and equity securities that these CDSs are based on, uh, they also want to be paying attention to what's going on. Um, they want to make sure that they have also have policies in place to make sure that confidential information doesn't get released to the wrong people and, you know, to make sure that these kinds of insider trading uh, cases don't come up. You never want to see your company's name in a headline. Um, and, and it can obviously affect the trading price of your securities, which can affect your company. Very interesting, David. I, I did want to ask you about why in this particular case only the individuals were sued. So you, the point is that the SEC probably didn't have enough, or the government didn't have enough information on kind of the institutional level as to policies and procedures, but you're suggesting that that might be uh, bigger targets down the road, that this is just, uh, in, in essence, a warning shot across the bow by the SEC and that bigger targets, including institutions, might be at risk. Absolutely. I think everyone uh, needs to pay attention and, and not assume that future cases will be limited to the individuals involved. Um, you know, I can't say exactly why the SEC limited this current prosecution just to the individuals, but as you mentioned, I suspect it's probably has to do with uh, you know difficulty of prosecution and the fact that they just wanted to send. I, I think it's a bigger deterrent if the if they're going after individuals because at the end of the day, it's got to be the individuals at the institutions doing the wrongdoing. 
where there are a lot of moving pieces and we don't know where the dust is going to settle. David, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Before we go, would you provide our listeners with your contact information? Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, If anyone has any questions, you can reach me at Dwayne Morris, LLP. Uh, My email address is D-B-E-R-N-S-O-H-N at Dwayne Morris, D-U-A-N-E-M-O-R-R-I-S dot com. Thanks again, David. Uh, We hope you'll join us for another in-house legal show. Thanks for listening today. I'm Paul Boynton, host of In-House Legal, your online source of the news and information in-house lawyers need to stay ahead of the game. Thanks for listening to In-House Legal with attorney Paul Boynton. Hot topics for the in-house lawyer, legally speaking. We hope you'll listen to the next edition right here on the Legal Talk Network.